microphone on and then I can invite the kids to come forward. We'll get started. We're, we're going fishing today. So that's where we'll start. Come on up and let's talk about fishing. Have you ever, have any of you ever played the game Go Fish? Have you ever played Go Fish? Anybody? Yeah? You played Go Fish? Okay, so you know that one. So in Go Fish, you, 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 you have cards and you want to get those cards from the other people. And so you ask somebody else, do you have this card or that card? Maybe it's Angelfish or Swordfish or something. And um, they tell you no. And then what do they say? Go fish. And they say it with a little glee because they say, ha ha, you didn't get what you wanted. And then you're going to go fish. And it's more likely than not that when you go fish, you're not going to find what you wanted, right? But sometimes, now and again, the card that you asked for, it's right there. And there's joy because what? The card you wanted is the card you drew, the card you got. And you got what you wanted. And you get to play again. Well, Jesus uses fishing as an example to his disciples. He says, I will make you fishers of men, right? And so I brought a fishing pole. And on my fishing pole, there's a fish. Now, you, you could say that that's bait, that I'm probably trying to catch bigger fish, right? Well, this is actually a cat toy, so I'm actually catfishing. So you throw it out there. See if we, see if we get any cats. No, no cats. All right, it's probably good that none of the kids were chasing after it either. That would be awkward. But I put the cat toy up there because I wanted to cast and reel it in. And line fishing is, but the kind of fishing we're going to talk about today, that's not the kind of fishing Peter and James and John were doing. Now, Peter did that at another time, but he's not doing that this time. He's not fishing with a pole. He's not fishing with a line. Because when Jesus tells us, I will make you fishers of men, I don't think that's the kind of fish he's talk, fishing he's talking about. Because when you're using a pole, what do you do? You have a lure, right? I put these in a little plastic thing because I didn't want to hurt myself. What are those things? What are those things? Well, these things, this is called a lure. It's a, it's a sneaky little thing. And when you put it on the end of your fishing line, you pull it through the water, it looks like something little. That's, it wiggles, it flashes, and it's alive. And the fish see that. And what do they think it is? They think it's a cookie. They think it's something that they want to eat. And so they swim up to it and they grab it with their mouth, right? And what happens when they do that? There's a little hook hidden in there. See that little hook? Don't touch it. That little hook is sharp and that will stick in your finger and, and, and then it'll hurt. So that's why I was careful with these. There's a little sharp hook, but it's hidden. You don't know the hook is there and you bite onto it thinking this is going to be delicious. And first of all, it's not delicious, not even to a fish. And then, and then you're hooked, and you got the hook. Okay? So that's, that's actually what, that's what Satan does to us. That's what temptation does to us. It looks promising, and yet you get trapped, you get hooked, and uh, you need somebody to help you untangle. Well, there's untangling involved when Jesus says, I will, you, from now on, you will catch men. Now, Jesus is going to tell Peter, he's going to tell Peter to go out and put his nets down again. Now, it's in the morning now. Peter says, Master, I have been fishing all night, and we've caught nothing. And so, it seems ridiculous 
That if, if Peter has been fishing all night and he caught nothing, then why would he catch anything now in the daytime? Now, if you've ever gone fishing, do you go fishing at night or in the daytime? The daytime when you can see, right? And hopefully the fish can see your, 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 your lure, right? And they will go after it like a cookie. But with this kind of net fishing, they fished at night. Do you know why? Because that's when the fish can't see. And what you actually try to do is you stretch this wall of net across the water in the dark and the fish can't see it. And then you make a lot of noise and you chase them into your net. So take a look at the first picture of an underwater net. There's a net underwater. Do you see it there up on the screen? Do you see the net? You know why? Because it's dark in the picture. Now let me go to a daytime picture of the same. Do you see it now? Now if you're a fish and you were scared and you were swimming and you saw the net, what would you do? You'd swim away from it. And that's exactly what fish do. You're a pretty smart fish. That's why when Peter says, Master, we fished all night and caught nothing, there's no way we're going to catch anything now. But, Peter says, because you said so, I will drop my nets. I will put them in the water again, even though it went against everything Peter knew. He still did what Jesus said. Obedience is doing what Jesus says even when we don't understand. Have your parents ever told you when you asked why to do something, have they ever said, because I said so? A hook. You, you, there's a hook there? Yes. Now we're back to go fish. Okay, yes. Um, have you ever had your parents tell you, because I said so? It doesn't seem quite good enough of an answer, Right? But there's something about faith in your parents that you'll do what they said even if you don't understand why. Well, that transfers over to walking with the Lord. Sometimes we need to do what Jesus says even when we don't understand why, okay? So that's what I'll be trying to convince your parents of today. So pray for them, okay? All right, let's go back. Go back and join them. You pray for them and we'll get started. So go fish. Go fish is a game of, of, um, of hope, hopeful anticipation. You're going to get what you're looking for all too often, followed by disappointment. And yet maybe, maybe, just maybe, when you put your hand on the pile, when you go back to the water, drop your net, maybe you will find something. The The interesting thing about the gospel is not necessarily where Peter and John and others started from, but how did they get to where they ended? The book of the Revelation, John is in exile on the island of Patmos from the city of Ephesus, the province of Asia Minor, because he has become, his teaching and his preaching, the word of God, have become such a threat to the Roman Empire and the Roman government and influence in Asia Minor that they have to get him out of there. This simple fisherman from Galilee. 
Several decades earlier, Peter is martyred apparently in Rome because this simple rural Galilean fisherman has become such a threat to the status quo of Rome that they have to get rid of him. How is it that a couple of simple fishermen, among others, could have such a grave, a, a, a significant, not a grave, such a significant outsized influence on the world of their day that they were the ones whom God used to turn the world upside down. How could that be? How would that happen? I want to suggest to you that part of how that happened is in Believing and obeying what the Lord says even when they didn't understand. That's the, that's the tone of it when we first get introduced to them here in the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 5. Now, now we're going to just focus on this one little story, 11 verses this morning. Now, one of the guys in our, in, our, in our Monday morning study group had some great observations from further along in chapter 5. And when I said, well, that's great, but we're actually just going to focus on the first 11 verses. He says, you're going to leave out all the rest of this? You're going to skip over the rest of this word of God and you're just going to do the first 11 verses? And I said, sometimes that a lesson like Do what Jesus says, even when you don't understand, is worth focusing on. So if you'll bear with me, that's what we'll focus on this morning. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, and we'll begin reading. Luke chapter 5, let's look at the first four verses together. On one occasion, sometime along the way, doesn't really matter when, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, and there's a theological statement there, When Jesus is speaking and teaching, this is the word of God. From his lips, they hear God's voice. The crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake there at the shoreline. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Fishermen washed their nets at the end of a long night of fishing. So getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, or Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. Now this is a particular area on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. They actually have suggested they know where this occurred. There's a particular very tight cove, and the land all around, like a natural amphitheater, it slopes upward from there so that you could easily have 500 people sitting there on the surrounding hillside um, on the sides of this bowl, and a person down there at the water's edge, they've actually done acoustic tests on this, a person standing at the water's edge, or a few meters out in the water for that matter, can be heard all the way up the hillside. 5,000 people could have heard Jesus on that day without any microphones, without any speakers, without any amplification. And after he has sat down and taught the people, when he had finished speaking, verse 4, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now let's pause here. First of all, we have seen the last of the crowd in this story. The crowd was helpful as we got the story started, but from now on, it's going to focus on the Lord and Peter, and James and John are there too. 
And there's a partner in, in, in Peter's boat that he's fishing with. Maybe it's Andrew. We're not really told. But the focus is clearly on Peter in every verse. It's not about the crowd. The crowd is the occasion for Jesus to engage with Peter. That's what's really going on here. Uh, we could think of it in terms, in fact, one commentator su- suggested as I was reading, that Jesus is like a net casting his words, the word of God, over the crowd. And yet, we're not interested in his catch. The only catch that we seem to be interested in this story is Peter. And I could suggest to you this morning that I'll, I'll be speaking to a crowd. I'll be speaking to all of you, but there's something here for you. Could it be that when you gather together in church, as well as when you open the Bible for yourself, when you're in your small group, that when you're in a Bible study of one type or another, when the Word of God is opened, that this is the occasion not for God merely to speak to us, but this is an occasion for God to speak to you. I remember years ago, in fact, before I was married, I was sitting in church, and one day I realized, one day it hit me that if I... I need to listen to this pastor as God's messenger placed here to speak to me. Now, not merely me. It's not all about me, which is an easy thing for us to grab hold of, but that he was there as God's messenger to speak to me. And if I would listen to him in that way, if I would give a hearing to God's word for me from him, that would change things. Jesus is focused on Peter here. And then he tells Peter, after he's done speaking, it's in early morning or later in the morning now, if Jesus was talking for a while, to, to um, well, thank you for the use of the boat. You know, I really appreciate that. In fact, let me say thank you. Put out again into the deep and drop your nets down. And to Peter, to Peter, that seems like a really dumb idea. It really does. Look at verse 5. Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. The implication is if we have toiled all night, if we have worked hard, if we have labored, if we've gone on and on and on, and yet we've come up with nothing. There were no fish all night long. There will not be any fish now. And if I tell you just a little bit about fishing or the kind of fishing they're doing here. There are several different ways that they use nets. There's a drag net they use. There's a cast net. This is neither one of those. This is something called a trammel net. And a trammel net uh, often would, would, would use two boats, but just to handle all of the netting, because you would have a wall of net in three layers that would stretch across perhaps 500 feet. Several sections of net connected together in order to form one continuous wall. And it's a net in three layers. There's a a very um, large opening net. And then within that, there's a fine mesh net that would actually catch all the the fish they're trying to catch. They could pass through the big openings into into the small net. On the other side of that, there's a there's a large opening net again. So the, the fine net is sandwiched between two others that sort of hold it in place and form the wall. And so you, you, you go along and you lay out your net. It has, it has lead weights on the bottom. The net itself is made out of cotton or linen. They were not made of, you know, the, the clear fishing line type thing that, that, that fishing lines and nets can be made out of today, which, which the fish can't see. 
but the fish would see them in light, and so they do this at night. And you lay out this wall of net in the water that the fish cannot see, and then you get behind where you think the fish are, and you start beating the water with the oars, and you start jumping in the boat and making lots of noise to chase the fish toward the net. And they actually swim through the net and they catch that loose one hanging in the middle and they push it through to the other side and now you've got a little purse or a little pocket of net that's wrapped around the fish. If it tries to turn around and swim back through, it just gets tangled all the more. And then you pull up the net and if it's full of fish, hopefully, you're going to spend a bit of time untangling all of those fish out of the captivity in the net. Okay? That's fishing. But if you're not finding any fish, you're going to drop the net down, you're going to go beat the water and jump up and down and yell and scream and holler and get tired, and then you're going to pull up the net. And you're pulling up a net that is held down with lead weights in order to make it sink. And that cotton or linen netting is itself full of water, and it's heavy as you pull it all back up and out and rearrange it again because there's no fish to untangle. So what are you going to do? You're going to move to a new spot, and you're going to drop the net down again. And typically in a night of fishing, you might do this 10 or more times. So when he says we have toiled all night and caught nothing, which means less sitting and untangling and more pulling the net up or beating the water, more hard physical work. They're tired. And not only are they tired, and not only are they convinced there aren't any fish, and if there were any fish, all of that beating and splashing and jumping in the boat would have scared any fish that were there away. So that Peter, as a professional fisherman, hearing from this rabbi who, my, he teaches well, but he apparently knows nothing about fishing. Because anybody would know that, A, there's no fish there, there's not going to be any fish left there, and finally, C, even if there were in the daylight, like I showed you and the kids, they would see the nets and they'd turn the other way. There's no chance that we're going to get fish in the daytime. Okay? Now, that is, I'm not trying to say that you can't go fishing in the daytime. You use a lure. You have to do that with some light so the fish can see your lure, right? That's why they have those flasher things on them. But that's a different kind of fishing. That's not this trammel net fishing. Okay, so Peter has every reason to believe that there are no fish. This is going to be a useless, wasted effort in which he is already past his margins. He's already exhausted. He just wants to finish putting the net up so that he can go to bed. Try it again tomorrow night. Master, we toiled all night long and took nothing. Have you ever been there? Lord, I tried that. It didn't work. I've done that. Nothing happened. I've shared my faith and got nothing. I've tried daily Bible reading. I, it doesn't work for me. I don't understand it. One of our young men in our study this week, and as we talked about this principle, he, he said, you know, my daily reading is kind of like fishing. Sometimes I don't catch any, anything. Sometimes I don't really find anything there for me, and yet the discipline of doing it is where I will find God's truth, and it's where God will speak to me. So even if, if yesterday morning I didn't find anything, I need to go back again and do it again and practice that discipline so the Lord, the Lord will speak to me out of his word. Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing but at your word. Or, but because you say so, with I think the emphasis on you, at your word, because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
Peter's the captain of his own little boat, and yet Peter calls Jesus master. I'll do what you say. Because you say so. It's a phrase we use with our kids. Because I said so. It's a phrase, actually, God would, in a loving, fatherly way, use with us. Because the principle is this. We need to do what our Lord says, even when it doesn't make sense. We need to obey the Lord, even when we don't understand why. We don't think that's going to work. We don't even think, it doesn't seem to me that's the right thing to do, and yet that's what God says to do. Now, that implies, first of all, I've got to know that it's what God is saying. I've got to know that God has said this, and not just my own impression, or not just my wacky friend who, who, who God just speaks to in their own thoughts all the time, and they just come up with stuff. But maybe it's from the Lord, maybe it's not. How do I know? Well, God has given us his word. We can know what God has said. And we can test our understanding of God's word in the family of faith. I can, I can come alongside others who have been walking with the Lord longer than I and also have his spirit and also know his truth. And I guess this is how I'm understanding this. This is how I'm hearing God here. Is that valid? Is that legit? And when they confirm the same thing, then it's all the more on me to follow the Lord and do what he says even when I don't understand it. It may be that he says to confess our sins. To confess our sins, in fact, to one another and pray for one another. But if I confess my sin, if I go back to the person that I wronged and I tell them it might cost me, that could be used against me. You don't know how vulnerable I'm going to put myself if I do that. Well, that's true. Not long after I was saved, well, first of all, I should say, before I was saved, I was a terrible person. Well, don't look at me like that. You were too. But me probably more so. We don't need to compete and like, compare stories, but, but I was a terrible person. And one of the things I did was, well, I had these friends, and me and the one friend had kind of gotten a little tired of the other friend. He wasn't treating us right. He wasn't doing what we wanted. Or some reason, he'd fallen out of favor, our other friend. And so we decided that we were going to steal something from him. And we broke into his car, and we stole his car stereo. And then I came to know Jesus as my Savior, the one who loved me, gave himself for me. I believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin, my guilt. And yet I had this car stereo. I knew where it came from. And I knew I couldn't keep it. And just in a very short matter of a month or so, I think if I remember the timing of all these events, I was going to be leaving for the Air Force. I was already pre-signed up. I was going to be leaving, enlisting, and on my way. And uh, yet I needed to go back to my friend. I needed to confess what I'd done. I needed to give him that which was his, which I had taken that I still had. I needed to give it back. I needed to pay for the part that the other guy had taken that I couldn't give back. And when I did that, my friend was obviously very horrified to learn that I had been the one to do this to him. 
But he was also, he could not understand. He said, why are you doing this? Why are you coming and telling me this? He said, I could ruin your life. I could call the sheriff right now. Now you're over 18. Now he, he could arrest you for this. And, and besides that, you're just about to leave for the Air Force. And this could, this could jeopardize all of that. The future as you've planned it out, it could all go up in smoke today because you came and told me this. I said, yeah, I've thought about that. But... I knew this was a time that I needed to confess and in that confession explain to him that I, I have come to believe in Jesus who died for my guilt. And so he has me and I'm, I'm trusting myself to his forgiveness and he has forgiven me and I need to ask your forgiveness. Well, I'm not sure that he gave me his forgiveness right away that day, but ultimately he did. And one of the things that he couldn't figure out, it took some time for him to try to wrestle with, was how was it that I could have that kind of faith in him that I would make myself that vulnerable to another person, that my plans as they were could go up in smoke as a result. If I confess my sin, they might punish me with that. But he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Peter yields to do what the Lord says even when it doesn't make sense. At your word, we will let, we will let down the nets. And when they had done this in the daytime, when the fish can see the nets, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that the boats began to sink with all of the fish and the weight of them. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. It was after, it's after yielding to obey, not knowing why, but because you said, I will, after yielding himself to obey, that's where Peter further understands. Peter gets new insight into who this rabbi is, who Jesus is. He only gets that insight as he yields himself to what it is that he has said. It's in stepping into God's word. It's in stepping into the light that he has given that that's where he gives us more light. It's not understand so that I can believe it's believe and do so that I can understand. And so Peter gets this new insight. We say we want to know God more, then why do we keep changing the syllabus? Why do we keep trying to shortcut it? It's kind of like, it's kind of like college classes. Isn't it? College is the one thing in life that you want to get less than you paid for. Weren't you thrilled when you were in college and you found out one day class was canceled, the professor's sick, the professor's busy, whatever, class is canceled, and you said, yay, wait a minute, that's a whole hour of learning you're, you're still paying for. Colleges never give a one-hour refund because the professor wasn't there. No, you're still paying for that learning, you just didn't get it. And yet, wow, I got a whole hour back for free. I got a whole hour of nothing 
instead of some learning? Why is it that we want to shortcut the learning that God would do on our life by changing the syllabus rather than doing what he says? Maybe it's because we don't always like what it is that we're learning, not only about him, but also about us. You see, Peter learns, as he learns something about the Lord, Peter learns something about himself. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. As you know God more fully, you are also going to become more aware of your own failing. You're going to see your own weakness in new light. There's something about knowing him more. We know not only more about God, we know more about ourselves, and we don't always like what we see. And Peter's, Peter's, Peter's first response here, like ours typically is, is to run, to hide. Lord, depart from me. I can't be in your presence. I'm not worthy. I don't measure up. This is an Isaiah 6 moment. This really parallels lovely the the. Uh, the the truth of Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 in chapter 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And seeing the seraphim, and they even cover their own faces, and they cover their own feet. And as, as, as Isaiah takes in the glory of the Lord, which he needs to see, he also has a new realization of his own unworthiness to be there in God's presence. He says, woe is me. I am lost. I am undone. I'm a dead man. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm a sinful man among sinful people. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And yet, God sends an angel with tongs to take a coal from the altar. And he took that coal, in verse 7, he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And that's when Isaiah says, or he's, Isaiah hears the Lord speaking, Who will I send? And who will go for me? And there's an interesting thing in the, in the original language, both in the Hebrew, but, but especially in the Greek translation of it, uh, the Septuagint, the Bible of Jesus' day, that, that there's, there's a hint there. I wouldn't build a, a, a whole tower on this, but there's a hint there that suggests that Isaiah now just hears, but God has been calling all along. But up until now, until he is cleansed, Isaiah can't hear it. But now I heard the Lord who was saying, who will I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. There's something of a parallel here of the realization of sin and yet the forgiveness and the sending by God. This is Peter's Isaiah 6 moment, that Jesus comes near to him. Our sin would keep us from him, and yet he himself has taken away our sin. And so Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. He says, Jesus is sort of um, uh, paraphrasing, um, oh, I forget the guy who... who, who, who uh, Coined this line, you'll remember when I say it, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. 
Bill, who? No, Bill Bright. Bill Bright, Campus Crusade. Thank you. Yeah, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But actually, Jesus didn't get that from, from Bill Bright, as bright as he was. He, he, he instead, um, he says, from now on, you will catch men. It's a wonderful line, isn't it? Here's Peter the fisherman. Peter's busy catching fish. Peter can't catch any fish. Peter couldn't catch a fish without Jesus, it seems like. I mean, these guys are fishermen, but they're not very good fishermen, it seems. And yet, and yet, Jesus said, no, no, you're not going to be a fisher of fish. You're going to be a fisher of men. From now on, you will catch men. And we think, oh, it's lovely. Jesus took Peter where he was, and he put it in terms that Peter could understand, and all that's true, but we miss something there. There's more. Jeremiah chapter 16 is in the midst of, of course, the prophecies of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is the prophet looking to the captivity. Jeremiah is the doom and gloom prophet. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet because it is now too late. Israel has been invited to return, Judah to return to their God who is faithful to them, and yet they have refused. So the die is cast. It is in play. It is in motion. Captivity is coming. Babylon will be arriving soon. In fact, they've already seen Babylon coming and exerting their will over Jerusalem. And in Jeremiah chapter 16, looking past the captivity where God's people will go into captivity because of their sin, and yet God will not leave them there. Look at Luke chapter 16. We'll put it on the screen here. Luke chapter 16, or rather Jeremiah 16, verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, wait a minute here. The exodus out of Egypt, by, because of the blood of the Passover lamb, was the big moment in Israel's history. That is the foundational moment of the Old Testament. That's where, for Israel, everything begins. That, that Passover was the beginning of, of the year for them. This was the, the start of their spiritual new year at Passover. At Passover that God gives the nation life. At Passover, they were helpless in bondage and captivity to Egypt. And they could do nothing to free themselves. And God brought them out and made them a nation and gave them a land. Nothing in the Old Testament is bigger than the exodus of Egypt. And yet God says, you ain't seen nothing yet. I have got a bigger and better work than that. I'm not going to merely take a nation of people who, who are in such a mess and I'm going to grab hold of them and bring them out and make them my own people among all the peoples of the earth so that through them everyone else will know that I am God. No, no, even better than that. I'm going to take that same people after they have been unfaithful to me, though I was faithful to them, and they are deservedly carried away by others into captivity, yet... I will bring them back. Now there's verse 15. As the Lord lives, who brought up the people out of Egypt, out of Israel, out of the north country, and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Now pause there. Don't go any farther yet. Hang on. So God says, bigger than Exodus is going to be my restoration. In Exodus, they really hadn't done anything wrong. It's just Egypt took advantage of them when they went down there to stay alive. But after they have known me and known my redemption and yet went willfully their own way, unfaithful to me, yet 
I will restore them. I will bring them back. That's an even bigger lift. That's an even greater work of God's mercy and grace toward us. He says, that's how I'm going to be known. I'm not going to be known only as the God who can do something big. I'm going to be known as the God who can restore big. Not only that, but I'm going to bring you into it. Let's look at verse 16. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt for them in every mountain and every hill and every, out of the clefts of every rock. In any place they are hiding, I'm going after them, and I'm going to bring them back. This is not hunting them down to shoot and kill. Sorry. We could have a little fun with this. God's all about hunting and fishing. But not in the ways that we normally think. God is in the ways of untangling the fish out of the net that they have got themselves captivated in. God is going to hunt them down and bring them back and give them life. That's the storyline here. And that, the even better part of it is that's what the Lord Jesus is giving to Peter. This is what God is going to be known for and yet he shares it with us. He kind of shares the Exodus thing a little bit with Moses, right? But that's Moses. I mean, the people hardly go along willingly, really. They're not very cooperative. Moses gets a little bit, but Moses is having a hard time with all this too. He gets a little frustrated at times. But God has determined that he is going to share his fishing, his, his restoring. He's going to share it with us. That's what I wanted you to see. So when he tells Peter, from now on, you will catch men. It's not just that Peter's going to be a fisher. He's going to try. He's going to catch them. And what he's talking about here, sorry for the people that like fish, it's catch and release. It's catch and set free to give new life that they had no way to obtain on their own. That's the work that God has called us into. You say, but... I've tried to join in that. I've tried to talk to other people about my faith. I've tried to serve in this or that, and it just doesn't work for me. This serving, this fishers of men thing, that's for somebody else. I've got an announcement for you. Save this one. I asked Nate, no, no, don't share that one. I'll do that one, because now is the time to pause for a word from our sponsors. Well, a word from our partners. We're having a 412 Ministry Workers Conference. It's going to be hosted at our sister church over in Philida, Philida Bible Church. That, that um, same thing, we did this last year as well. And this is a conference that'll include a couple of keynote sessions, but also include a lot of different workshops. There'll be ministry leaders from our church, from their church, also from outside that'll be coming there for the purpose of, it's called 412, the 412 Conference for Equipping the Saints for the Work of Ministry. This is an opportunity for you to gain some new skills in a particular ministry area that you serve in. It's an opportunity for you to get exposed to some ideas of how could you in a ministry area that maybe you've thought about but not put your foot in the water before. It's not a matter of what I can do. It's what will God do if I am willing to do what he says even when I don't understand. And so when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Jesus's, or rather, Peter's initial obedience is what results in the catch. If Peter says, Lord, we've been fishing all night, there's nothing there, I'm not doing it. Peter never sees the catch. Peter never knows the Lord more fully. 
Peter doesn't even get the glimpse of himself that he needs to see. None of that happens unless Peter says, Lord, I will do what you say even when I don't understand. But it's in doing what he says when he doesn't understand that then Peter sees more. And that seeing more then leads to another step. A yielding themselves to his call to no longer fish merely for fish, but now to be fishers of men. And that leads to another step. And that calls them to leave something else behind. And it's not something evil that they leave behind. Fishing was a good trade. Fishing feeds people. In fact, we have some... some um, it's, it, it appears likely that the fishing business of the family of Zebedee continues with other hired men that were also in their employ. The fishing must go on because people must still eat. And yet... God calls them to do something else. And in doing something else, to be fishers of men, if they're going to do that, they have to leave something behind. Did you catch that? You know, I was, I was approached by, by one of our senior saints after the service first hour. And with a little tear in the eye, she said, thank you. Thank you for your message. You know, they're always wonderful. Oh, I love that lady. She said, she said this morning, she said, you really spoke to me about some busyness that I need to set aside. It's not that it's wrong, but it's just extra busyness that I need to set aside because there's something that the Lord has been telling me to do. And I need to make room for that. One of our senior saints is still taking a next step in yielding herself to God's leading and willing to move something else out of the way so that she can follow. Man, what, a, what an example for the rest of us. In order to take that next step in following him, which will lead to something else, which will lead to knowing him more fully, which will lead to another step. You know, when we, when we were, when we were um, in the Air Force, along the way, the Lord called us to do something that to people around me, my supervisors, it didn't make a lot of sense. And at first, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I'm halfway through an Air Force career of 20 years. I could have retired, then had, a, had a, a monthly income for the rest of my life after only working for 20 years. What a sweet deal. I could do nothing and get paid for it. It's kind of like, well, I won't say that. Um, going to make a joke about government work, but no. The... the um, and, and my supervisor comes to me this time and says, Bob, you like the Air Force. The Air Force likes you. Why, don't you. why don't you continue your career? You'll be this far in 20 years, and then you could retire, and you could use that retirement to go do your mission work. And I said, that's wonderful. I, would, I wish I could do that. I said, I'd love to do it that way. But the Lord's calling me now. I don't know if he's going to be calling me 10 years from now. And so I had to find And And, and yeah, I look back. I don't have any regrets. I haven't missed anything along the way. And I don't know if, 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 if any of those joys that I've endured, and, and I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know we were going to Africa when I got out of the Air Force. And I didn't know when we, when we went to Africa, I didn't know I was coming here with you. I don't regret any of it. The family that God has given us along the way because we were willing to take a next step with him even when we didn't understand. We're going we're gonna to close in singing a song. I will follow you. Where you go, I'll go. I will follow you. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. There's imagery out of Israel's traveling with the Lord through the wilderness. 
When the presence of God moved, they moved. When he stayed, they stayed. Wherever the presence of God went, they would follow him. And God calls us to follow him, even when we don't understand. And often in doing so, we'll have to leave something behind. It isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it could be in the way of a better thing. It could be in the way of his thing. And what I want to set before you out of God's word today, like Peter, I will follow you even when I don't understand. And that's where his blessing and fruit will be known and experienced. Would you pray with me? Father, I do, Lord, pray for each of us this morning. Lord, this is, a, this is a lesson that is set before each one of us. And it's an, ongoing best, it's an ongoing lesson because there's another step to take. Father, none of us has finished this walk with you. It is one step at a time. Following your will, we don't understand it. All the way to your perfect end. And Lord, we know Ideally, that we would want that. And so, Father, give us the courage today for the step that you set before us now. Give us the courage to follow you when we don't understand. Father, help us to see more clearly by the light of your word that we can trust you, that these things that would distract us that might hold on to us that these things are not worth that. That they don't matter as much as we think they do. What matters more is that I will trust you. So Father, help me to do that. Help us to trust you, to follow you, to yield our next step in your hands rather than to our own will and understanding. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.